0: Welcome to the Voce Nation podcast. 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 Welcome,
1: Welcome everyone, to the Voce podcast. I'm your co host, Randy Kassar. And with me today is my other co host, Chris uh, Thilk from Chicago. Uh, And uh, we're really excited to. Uh, interview uh, jeremy kaplan from digital trends jeremy welcome that was my little bow <laughs> no, that works <laughs> for those of you listening in the on the audio podcast on demand he was actually doing a bow there so uh jeremy uh you're based in new york uh these days and uh we're super excited to to have you uh to learn more about uh your side of the biz the publishing biz um and just about digital trends uh it's definitely a Something that I've been uh, following, um, I knew your, uh, your boss uh, back in the day, Ian Bell, um, back when I was at Roxio and, and he was uh, doing some blogging back then. So it's been a been an interesting career for, for Digital Trends and, and really happy to see it uh, be a success. Thank you. So um, we'll start with a few housekeeping items and then we'll jump right in uh, to, we've got a bunch of questions. We have a few people that have joined live, uh, so that's awesome. Um, definitely uh, hit us up uh, on, uh, on Blab uh, if you like. Uh, and uh, we can also uh, list out a few other ways uh, that you guys can keep in touch with us. Uh, Phil, can you want to talk about uh, some of the ways uh, that people can keep in touch with us?
2: Yes. Uh, you can always find VoChain Nation on Twitter. Uh, we are also Voce Nation on Instagram and on Facebook and LinkedIn and the ever-popular Google+. Plus. Uh, we are VoChain Communications. We, we don't have a peach profile yet, but because we really want to get strategic with that, but <laughs> it's watch, for it. Watch, watch for it. For it.
1: <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, uh, definitely um, super pumped about this. And uh, I think one of the things that we, o- we always want to do is just like learn more about you. Uh, so, Jeremy, um, you're an editor in chief at Digital Trends. Uh, You've been there for a couple years, Um, but tell us kind of your your history of how you got into the industry and what your day-to-day is at
0: uh, Digital Trends. Sure. I'd be glad to. So, uh, oh, do I need to mute myself? Sorry. No, you're good. Okay, good. Um, So a little history about me. So uh, my dad was an engineer. So growing up, I used to have him running off to a lot of trade shows with uh, big IT companies that no longer exist. companies like Atassi and I, I guess IBM is still around, but they were always a big force back in the day and then a uh, much different company today. Um, he, I remember he used to come back from trade shows with all these little gizmos, pens and little pins and bands of this and that. And uh, I remember being very excited by that. Um, so what your father's doing, everyone gets excited about. He came back with computers and this and that. And I remember playing around with computers at a very young age. Um, I always used to like I still do. I, I like taking things apart, finding out how they work. Um, so getting into technology and computers was always very logical for me.
1: You still building your own computers?
0: Of course. Uh, yeah. Every computer I've ever owned has been one I built, except for the very first PC.
1: Wow. Nice. That's a pretty awesome hobby. I know my brother used to do that quite a bit. Um, so it's interesting to, to see that you still do that. Uh, so... Once you kind of found your your passion, and from, from your dad, which is an awesome influence, uh, you ended up going uh, to PC Mag, right? That was one of your uh, first gigs.
0: Yeah, well, I started at um, a couple of I started at a small technical publisher up in Boston um, called CD-ROM Professional, literally reviewing CD-ROMs. It's like <laughs> the exciting heyday of technology. Look at the information you can pack onto these darn things! It's crazy. <laughs>
2: Hey I, hey, I spent hours on like Encarta and uh, something, basically a CD-ROM version of of the of what would later become the Internet Movie
0: Database. <laughs> it was an exciting time to be in, uh, in technology. Um, I moved to New York City. I had another job. And then I, I found my way over to Ziff Davis and PC Magazine, which was great. Um, when I joined them uh, right around the turn of the century, turn of the millennium even, Um, They were one of the biggest publishing companies in the world, not just in technology, but in the world, rivaling Condé Nast and some of those big giants. So that was really neat to be part of that. Um, So I really cut my teeth learning at PC Magazine, and I worked on the reviews programs, and I worked on news, and I helped them launch some new publications, uh, started some social initiatives, and a lot of exciting things like that. Um, I left there, uh, I got a job at Fox News. I was working as the science and technology editor for for the foxnews.com website, um, which was a real change for me. Um, When I was working a publishing house, I didn't really have this background in news. And then I went to work for a news company and it was like a complete change of pace. It was like, this has happened, we need a story on it in five minutes, Jeremy go do it. And I had to sort of learn how to do that, which was not easy. Yeah, um, i have great respect for everyone that does it better than me which is a lot of people um so anyway that was very exciting and interesting and it was a good time to be part of that and i spent uh four or five years working at fox and i joined uh digital trends two years ago just a little over two years ago at this point
1: very cool so uh editor-in-chief what is the uh the day-to-day uh for that uh in the profile that we post on our blog You manage about uh, 22 or so editors around the country, right?
0: Um, we had, we were talking about various questions you might ask me earlier today. And one of the things was, uh, what's something that your LinkedIn profile doesn't really show about you. And let me just jump ahead if I could, because that is from my LinkedIn profile. When I joined the company, that was sort of what was going on. What my LinkedIn profile doesn't reflect is the incredible growth that digital trends has really seen over the last two years. Which is by no means because of me. I'm just a small cog in the wheel. Um, But we have had a lot of really remarkable growth. So I started out, and and there were about 22 people on the edit team. And today we have more like 33, 34. So it it has been a a pretty tremendous growth. Yeah, my day-to-day is, uh, you know, I goof off for a good two hours at the beginning of the day.
1: (laughs) So that's what's not on your profile.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's got to have a good goofing off, period. Yeah, yeah. I'm, um, a big, I'm a big
2: fan. <laughs>
0: a lot of what I do is um, is maintaining a lot of the partnerships that we have with many of the other other publishing houses. Um, so we have a partnership with Yahoo, we work with uh, Fox News pretty closely, um, I've been trying to work with CNN although it's not very easy, they don't really like partnerships so much but we're working on getting it in the door um, and a variety of other places like that. Uh, increasingly I've been looking at, and, and we can talk about this a little bit later, but uh, the The publishing world today is not so much about publishing on a platform it's about publishing on every platform so there are a dozen or two dozen news aggregators or news readers or whatnot and we work with them very closely on tailoring feeds and ensuring the right content goes into the right places Uh, that is pretty much a full-time job in itself Um, i also work to get us out into the public eye so talking to you guys things like this are great Uh, i was on cnn this morning talking about uh, the uh, bids on Yahoo. AT&T is a potential suitor, which is kind of interesting.
1: Interesting. I've had a, so, lot
0: of a lot of stuff that I do. Nice. Busy.
2: Yeah. So uh, talk to us a little bit about, you mentioned there about distributed content, basically. Um, how are you, are, are, is digital trends seeing success and how are you measuring that? And, you know, you don't have to go into super detail, but, um, you know, just how's that working for you so far?
0: Uh, It's been working really well, and it it has its pros and cons, I guess I'll say. Um, I think a lot of the challenges that you encounter, well, that's not the right word. Um, A thing to keep in mind as you consider this, as you consider distributed publishing, is the business model. So if you look at a company um, like ours, uh, we are fueled almost entirely by direct ads. We have a very robust sales department, and we make uh, a nice business doing that. Um, so when you have people viewing your content through an aggregator, like smart news, for example, I love smart news. It's a wonderful site, just something I'm picking off my head. They aren't currently running our ads next to our content. So if you are viewing our content over there and go ahead and do it, we're not, we're not doing well on that sense, right? Because we're not making that money all of a sudden. I love people getting to our content, but that is a real challenge. And so as we work with different publishers, this question of figuring out how to do that. So Smart News has an API that allows you to tie uh, eyeballs on their platform into your Comscore account and into your uh, advertising backend system as well. We haven't really done that yet, so that's something we need to do. Um, There's a lot of challenges, pitfalls, obstacles, I guess, however you want to describe it, that go into that sort of distributed model. That said, I think it's incredibly important because this is how people want to get to your content these days. Nobody necessarily wants to go through the front door. In fact, the vast majority of our traffic is in through the side door. So feed people the information that they get however they want to get to it.
2: Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. That's that's similar to, to other stories that I've heard and, and and read and everything. So it's interesting to get your perspective. Um, Let me back up a little bit, Uh, talk to us about digital trends and sort of the the brand identity and where you fit in terms of the overall tech press uh, landscape.
0: Sure, sure. Um, There are 10 trillion blogs that cover technology and we're just one of them. So distinguishing yourself is not easy. Uh, I'm the first to admit it. Um, We pride ourselves on being a news and reviews site. So we have a a fairly robust reviews division Um, and we review I wouldn't say we review the most out there. CNET reviews an incredible amount of products. I think PC Magazine reviews more than anybody else does at this point. Um, but we're one of the top five or ten. Uh, we review an awful lot of products. and That's computer products, cars, uh, smart home products, tablets, phones, you name it. Um, one of the things that I think sets us apart is that we aren't just doing reviews. We aren't just doing news. We're the life cycle of technology. We are how to get more out of the technology that you currently have. I like to think of it as service journalism. Um, we don't push a new product on you. I don't care if you buy a new phone today or if you're using the one that's three years old. What's most important is us conveying information about how to get more out of the product that you have. So a lot of the information that we publish is, you know, ten tricks for making your battery last, uh, ten ways to overhaul an old product. You know, get more out of what you currently have. Uh, that's one of the things that we really stress.
2: So less news, more, uh, for lack of a better term, evergreen, useful content.
0: Evergreen, exactly. We call it living articles because they constantly evolve and change as the products evolve and change.
2: So that's interesting. Talk to to me about that a little bit, because do you actually update old articles or do you write new ones as things change and, and, uh, and evolve? I know there are some sites that do, there's a trend towards the former, but there's, you know, the latter has always been kind of the
0: model. That's a great point. Um, We try to do both. Um, For example, uh, the new iPhone 7 is going to come out. Well, that's a bad example because they have model numbers. Um, uh, If a new product comes out that influences an old product, it's important to have a piece about the new product as well as something about the old product. So this is especially interesting in terms of reviews. So if the iPhone 7 comes out, you still need to update the review of the iPhone 6 because in light of the iPhone 7, The iPhone 6 is less interesting of a product, probably a cheaper product, uh, still going to be uh, receiving software updates, so it still is a very viable thing. That kind of information, I think, is very useful for a lot of people. Not everyone is rushing out to buy the latest and greatest things, so we have to keep current on old things. Um, Beyond that, we have a a number of articles that just regularly get updates. Like, for example, we've got, we started doing um, a couple months back, we started doing a roundup of the newest movies to hit Netflix, which is something that Netflix doesn't necessarily provide and it's hard to get to. And every month that changes. So we need to keep updating that. that, here's the new products. I'm sorry, the new movies that are going to be released on Netflix. Here's the ones that they're dropping off the service and keeping that current is a really valuable service for people. So a little bit of both.
2: Very cool. All
1: right. So uh, let's uh, get into kind of the inner workings uh, of digital trends and your team specifically. Um, how is your team structured? Uh, from, is it a kind of a hub and spoke model? Uh, how, how, do you, how, how have you organized your team to be as much as possible? When you have this
0: real time content that you need stuff written
3: you know, super fast
0: Wow, you're getting some static there? I don't know if that was just me or if that was yeah. everything. Um, we, uh, there are a lot of blogs because of the nature of the publishing world these days, you can have a team that is spread out everywhere. Nobody needs to actually be sitting together in the same office. Um, That said, we do. I think it's really nice that we do, in fact. Uh, You get to build a nice community. So our main headquarters are in Portland, Oregon, and we have uh, 40 or 50 employees over there. And then I'm in the New York City satellite office, where we have another 20 or 25 people. And the majority of our edit team sits in those two different locations. we have writers that are scattered around the world, but our editors are very much located in these offices. So that's, it's, which is nice. We have a nice sense of community and, and it's always useful. Also, you know, if I have an idea about a story or Jeff or whoever has an idea about a story, uh, it's not easy to come up with that by yourself and to vet it and to say, how is this going to work? Is this a good concept? Is it a bad concept? The best ideas are generated by interacting with somebody else. So if you're working at home, yeah, you can call somebody, you can podcast somebody, whatever you want to do. Yeah. But it's not so easy to to do that. It's much easier just to stand up and say, "Hey Phil, is this going to be a good thing?" and figure it all out together.
3: Phil right next to you. No, Phil's not right next to you. Yeah. No. Uh, so uh, from, so kind of walk us through, like, say the iPhone seven uh, is released. Uh, what is kind of the process that you work on internally? assignment editor, uh, do the research and kind of walk us through that that process. Uh,
0: When we have big events, I usually rely on the deputy editor to come up with um, an assignment sheet. So the way we usually structure things is um, we will figure out ahead of time the six to ten major areas that are probably going to be touched upon for an event, like like an Apple event. Um, There's going to be an iPhone itself, so there will be that story about the iPhone's existence. Um, there's probably going to be news about, um, they always have the news about uh, the vast number of, well, I guess I just call it a stats thing, you know. Uh, we have 10 million users, and we've sold a billion products, and look at how great we are. Um, somebody should be covering that. Um, throughout the podcast, I'm sorry, throughout the speech, there will be a variety of little pieces of news. We might be updating an Apple TV, for example, or you might hear about that car that they've been buzzing about for however many years at this point. We plan ahead of time and put specific writers onto specific beats about those things. Um, what we haven't been doing very effectively, um, and I wish we were doing more effectively, is to create some of that beforehand. Um, we, uh, I, when I, was, I used to do this when I was at Fox. It's, um, you can sort of shape the majority of an article ahead of time. Um, so-and-so is going to come out on stage at X facility and is going to announce XYZ, most of which we probably yeah. can get that. Um, we haven't been doing that. What we do is we, we wait for it to happen and then we write it, which I think has been hitting our timeliness a little bit. So that's something I plan on having us all work on over the next couple of months. Yep.
2: Um, because we're talking about media in 2016, we, I, I have to ask, uh, what, to, you know, what tools are you using to coordinate teams? And of course, are you using Slack? <laughs>
0: It's a given. Everyone is using Slack.
2: Everyone is using Slack. If you're in media, it's assumed
0: at this point that you're using Slack. I think a better question is who's actually paying for Slack? Because That's, I want- a,
2: that's a great question.
0: We certainly are not. Um, I, and I wish we were, actually, because if you don't pay for Slack, you can have a chat window that is this long, and everything above it just vanishes. Right. So your entire chat history with everyone on your team is gone. We have chat boards with 100, 150 people on them, Um, linked around the world, but you can't keep records of anything. It's kind of an unfortunate thing. So I think we probably should start paying for Slack, but we are not. Um, Beyond Slack, the other big tool that we've been using for publishing lately is Trello. Trello has been a remarkable game changer for us. Uh, And if you haven't used it, Trello is essentially um, document workflow. At least that's how we use it. Um, The website lets you create a bunch of different columns, and you can move content between columns, or you move these little cards in between different columns. So we have columns set up for assigned uh, in writing, going to copy, edit, going to edit, uh, publish, whatnot. And as an article is is assigned and moves through the production process, people just drag it through. Um, That has been a a huge transformer for us. We have over a dozen boards at this point. Um, Everyone is involved with Trello, and it's been, it makes it that much easier to keep tabs on everything we do. That's been a huge for.
3: That's awesome to hear because we, we use that as well here on a few clients, and um, you know, and we're all about transparency. And making sure the client kind of knows what the status is. They don't have to ask us. You know, the moment that someone asks us for an update, it's probably too late. Um,
0: so it's always good to have that board available to the client uh, to see what's going on. Um, I think in terms of tools, though, the vast majority of tools that we use are. Be or outside of the publishing world—that's um, the wrong way to say it. But um, we use a handful of tools to coordinate publishing. Uh, the blog itself is WordPress, and then beyond that, there's dozens of tools that each individual department uses to facilitate publishing. So, you know, we use uh, Chartbeat and Google Analytics to keep tabs on uh, traffic to the site and what's clicking, what isn't clicking. Uh, the social media team uses a dozen different tools to monitor what's clicking on social media and to figure out how to assign posts to various places. You know, we use uh, buffer for a lot of our social media publishing. Uh, we recently started testing a tool called Momentum, which is sort of uh, uh, determines how hot a post is going to be before it goes live. Um, sort of like the tool Mashable is built internally. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, there's just a, there's an array of things that go into the whole mix beyond just writing a piece of content. Very cool.
3: Um, I've never heard of Momentum, so that's a good one to check out. Uh, just to make sure to put that link in the, in the show notes. Uh, so from, you know, we just learned kind of more about how you work in, internally. Uh, from an audience expectations, uh, you know, the sites in UI, UX has changed over the years. Um, from the data and insights that you have, Um, What are some of the expectations that the audience expects uh, from, not just a story, but from a a format standpoint, from an engagement standpoint, from a real-time standpoint?
0: It's interesting to think about what these guys is like, awesome, you know, bachelor pad. I think I'm having some sound issues here. Um, No, that was... Okay. Um, we have, for a long time, tailored the homepage uh, of Digital Trends in order to keep it timely and newsy. And when you think about where, where traffic comes from, because so much of it is through the side door, being timely on the homepage is not so relevant. What's relevant is getting a, uh, an article written in the right period of time. Um, so we don't concern ourselves today so much with ensuring that whatever is the latest news is at the top of our website. Um, the way that the homepage is really structured today is what's the most interesting stuff? What's the coolest stuff? If somebody is, if somebody has 20 minutes and they want to see what's going on, they type in digitaltrends.com they know they're going to have a couple of cool things that are probably interesting to read. Not necessarily the latest. Not necessarily the news about AT&T being a suitor for Yahoo. I mean, if you want news, go to a go to news.com, go to Yahoo's news pages, whatever. Like we're in a lot of those yeah. as well. But I don't think that's what everyone is looking for from the homepage of a of a big tech site. Um, so we'll we'll have a review up there because we've reviewed a product and we find it to be interesting, and other people will do so as well. So a lot of how we curate and tailor stuff uh, content for the site is. Is based on that it's a different sort of view of things not so much news just what's interesting what's cool what's going to be engaging
3: from a community standpoint i mean the number that i read was about 25 million uh, readers a month um, have you harnessed that that community that, that reads your content and engage with them how, how is
0: that part of the part in your strategy I wish I had a better answer for you. I have, a, I have a lame answer for you, which is no. We we don't do a very good job artists in that community, and that is not easy. Um, there have been. A, uh, I, I follow the business of publishing pretty closely. What are my competitors doing? Um, what are the trends in publishing? And one of the big trends that a lot of people have been buzzing about lately is scale. How to deal with scale? Um, how to achieve scale? How to get enough visitors that you can sell yourself to an advertiser, whatever whatever reason you need to scale. Um, we have a great scale, but that doesn't mean that we have done enough to include people in and to bring them into a community, which is something that we spend an awful lot of time thinking about and trying to address. So I daily push my staff to interact with people more closely on whether it's on Facebook or on Twitter or Snapchat or wherever. That's one way that we can Get, we can talk directly to people and and make it more of a community. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of back and forth about uh, the commenting system that we have. It's another big trend in publishing. is a lot of people have been turning off comments. Personally, I think comments are great. Um, somebody wants to ask you something. That's how they're going to do it. They're going to post a comment on your site. Um, the challenge, of course, is that half the comments are spam. You know, come get my. It, I've been seeing a lot of uh, spam for spellcasters. Who's falling for this? Like, who's actually signing up with a spellcaster? I, I don't get it. Um, dealing, cutting through that is uh, is a challenge. But anyway, like, comments are important, so we keep the comments up, and I try to t- to react to them wherever I can, and I try to push my editors to do so as well. Um, getting a community, building a sense of community, is something that a few sites have done very well. Yeah, I mean, I think even in
3: the non-publishing world, it is a hard thing to do. It's not just about buying the platform and ta-da! Um, and there is uh, quite a bit of strategy and legwork uh, to put in on that, on that end. So interesting to hear your take. Um, so we were talking about content formats uh, in terms of what you guys are, are producing. Uh, I know that you were uh, at CES Asia uh, um, like last week. And one of the things that you worked on was a VR um, and really a 360-degree view of uh, was an Intel booth uh, that where you were kind of positioned, you kind of just gave people a tour. Yep. has VR uh, and 360 video changed how
0: you um,
3: produce content?
0: VR is one of those buzzwords that everyone has been talking about, and I don't think anybody has any idea how to, how to do it well. Um, or how, or, or how to handle the problem? I guess you could say the problem that VR presents. Um, if you look at what the New York Times has been doing, everyone likes to watch the Times. They they do have wonderful technology, and they are quick to get on things. Um, the Times has done very, 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 very high end pieces, a handful of them, yeah. which I'm sure have cost them millions of dollars. Is that successful as a business? That That runs as a business, like we need to make money in order to do stuff. So if I lose millions of dollars on something, my boss comes to me and says, Jeremy, what the hell are you doing? Um, That's not the best approach. What we've been doing, and I'm not saying it's the best approach either, is we use some of the lower end tools that are available to consumers. Um, I took a video at uh, CES that that you're talking about um, just using a Theta, the Theta camera from Ricoh which does pretty good quality. I wouldn't call it tremendous, but it's pretty good. And it's really one of the better ones that are currently available. Um, when you talk about the New York Times, I wasn't at their VR shoot, but I'm guessing that they had stagehands hands and they have producers and they have a makeup truck and they block off the streets with those you know, catering trucks and everything. This is why it costs them a million dollars. Um, we have a makeup truck here too, by the way. I just, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, The challenge is that the experience today, either as a producer or as a consumer watching this type of stuff, is not very good. And I think you're challenged to get what people are looking for. We want it to look a certain way. We have expectations it's going to look a certain way. And it's not. Not because of the limitations of the production process. well, I, I'm sorry, because of the limitations of the production process, as well as the tools that are currently available. So what do you do with it? That's, that's just a real challenge. We've been taking a cautious approach. I think a lot of people have been doing so as well. It's going to be interesting to see what happens as, uh, as it moves forwards. One of the things I've been hearing a lot about actually is high-end television studios and movie studios that are building out divisions dedicated to doing VR. Um, and if you spend the millions of dollars, you can probably have a pretty good experience there, but it's just an incredibly expensive proposition. Um, and it involves rethinking everything, right? You have to rethink the entire uh, directorial process. When you have an actual film, it's directed by somebody and it's part of the direction process is, this is what is on film. I'm looking, I'm directing the, the viewer's eyes at a certain place. And in VR, you're not doing that. So the role of the director is completely transformed. This is why it's going to take millions and millions of dollars for those high-end studios to rethink all of that stuff. In the meantime, what do people like me do? We have to keep experimenting and keep playing around with it.
2: Yeah. uh, Do you see that... What am I trying to ask here? Do you see it as... this, This is a personal opinion as well as a professional one. Do you see it as a whole different... Uh, as a whole different art form, or do you see it as sort of the, you know, for about, for about six years there, we were talking about transmedia, uh, you know, things that would be, first it was MySpace pages for characters and movies, and, and then it was Facebook, and then it was Twitter accounts, and it was book tie-ins and, and everything, these transmedia stories. Do you see the potential for VR to be a wholly different experience or do you see it as more of a complementary experience to I guess what we could could be called the core content like a movie or, or, or a book or something?
0: I think it's gonna be an entirely new medium. I think it's going to be something else that sits next to those. It's not going to be an add-on to a film or, or an add-on, add-on to a book. It's going to be an, it's its own thing entirely which entails everything getting a lot better really quickly. Like I was saying, the tools aren't very good right now, so it's yeah. not a good experience, but I think we're gonna, just because of the sheer demand and the interest, I think it's gonna have to improve really quickly and it will be its own thing. I don't know if you're gonna have different websites that are specifically dedicated to it. That's part of the challenge. You know, Do we launch digitaltrends.VR? I don't know if there's gonna be that kind of demand. Um, but it's, there's enough that it's gonna be a section of the site for sure.
1: I, mean, I feel like back in the days uh, when there was VRML, I don't know if you remember that from the Silicon Graphics days, yep. um, there was separate sites for that and it didn't go anywhere. <laughs> um, and, and that's, there's a whole bunch of issues and factors around that. Um, but I definitely think, um, you know, we will probably see my belief, it within five to 10 years, we'll see that integrated uh, into the current user experience, so you no, know, we'll see.
2: I mean, it all comes down. To, it all comes down to hardware, right? You have to get the hardware down under two hundred dollars to really make it a, a mass consumer experience. Even yeah, exactly. even
0: if the content is still a little fuzzy. That's, that's exactly right, and the um the. Part of the challenge also, people fret a lot about about the experience of of watching VR content, you know, putting something on and then sitting by yourself. I don't think that's going to be the problem. The issue is getting stuff that's good enough. And right now, we don't really have the tools as content producers. I don't have the tools to make content that's good enough. So we're kind of challenged because people want the stuff. I know that advertisers come to me and say, what can you do for us? We have... Uh, A lot of brand partners that come to us and say, help us tell some stories in this experience. And I'm frustrated because what we're able to do isn't going to be so great. Right, Hard to respond to that. Interesting.
2: Um, Okay, so I'm sure that as editor in chief of a a major tech site, uh, you get a lot of pitches from PR people like ourselves. Give me a, and you you know you don't have to name names here, but give me an example of the of a of a really on target pitch, and give me an example of some of one of the worst pitches you've gotten
0: recently. That's a that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, it's, I think that there's been a devolution. Is that a word? Devolution. Yeah. yeah. Devolution of the quality of pitches. I think in part because of the. Kickstarter Indiegogo world, Um, these tools make it easy for anybody to become CEO of a company that makes products, even though they aren't actually products and there isn't actually a company there. Um, And I think that a lot of people have said, hey, you know what, that makes me a PR professional because I'm doing PR for a company. So I get a lot of pitches about Kickstarter slash Indiegogo projects that are just the worst thing you've ever seen. With grammar mistakes, with uh, not including in- information that's relevant, getting bogged down in the wrong types of information. Um, it, to me, the best pitches just follow a very simple formula. It, it doesn't need to be a complex thing where it's a uniquely created video just for me with my name in it. Um, I don't need that. I need two short paragraphs that explain why this is a good. Thing why this story is interesting why this product is interesting and too often it's just over the top excess or or not enough information or just the wrong information the other thing that i hate seeing by the way let me just throw this out there um, a link don't give me a link put take the time to actually put the information you're sending to me into an email (laughs) i get a lot of emails that are just like hey check out my kickstarter project link why would i do that why would I check that out? Just because you told me to? I don't you, know who
2: you. you me You've given me no reason to check this out.
0: I get that email like 5, 10, 20 times a day. Check out this. I'm not going to check that out just because some person I don't know told me to. That, to me, is the worst pitch.
2: Okay. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> Randy, uh, you appear to be muted. All right, well, we're, with Randy uh, with Randy going silent on us, um, if there's one, I, I guess you kind of just gave it, but if there's one tip that you could give uh, PR professionals and our clients and everything who are trying to, to get digital trends attention, what would that be? Would it be just make it interesting, uh, you know, give us give us the high level view here.
0: Um, Let's use a specific example because I got this just today Um, and and I won't name names, but there is a company. It's a Kickstarter. Go figure. That is making a product that will control your air conditioner. Um, They said it's just like Nest, but cheaper. Cheaper isn't really a very good sell, right? I mean, it, it is and it isn't. Yeah, um, That's that's a good try. But I need a little bit more than that. I need to know that it does one thing. We need some sort of um, a superlative, right? I think more than anything else, that's what I look for is a superlative. And I don't need lots of superlatives. I just need one. So if it's the best designed Internet of Things item you'll ever see, or if it's the fastest, of course, or the coolest, but it can be anything. It can be the easiest to use pocket watch you'll ever pull out. That's kind of neat. I I think that more than anything, that's what I need to see, is some reason for me to click on something. And cheaper than a product that I know works really well, that's not so great.
2: All right. Do you see pitches that come in, do you see them come in waves? Uh, so if You know, if if somebody if there's some innovation in Internet of Things, for example, do you then see two weeks of just everybody pitching you Internet of Things type products? If there's some if there's some VR thing, do you see you know a solid block then of VR related pitches and
0: so on? Oh yeah, absolutely. As soon as something becomes trendy, there's just a slew of them. Or if I write a piece about something that I've seen, I get a dozen pitches about that, Um, which is fine. Um, I actually I don't mind that. And I don't know if everybody does this, but I take the time to read everything that comes into my inbox. I don't spend a lot of time reading it. If it's something that I can tell I'm not going to like, I don't spend a lot of time reading it. But I read everything that comes in. So if I get a if I get an array of pitches about VR helmets one day, or headsets, I should say, um, that's fine. I'll read them all. And I'll look for something that's catchy, something that sticks out, some reason that this particular headset is better than the other ones. Um, there aren't always good reasons, though, is the challenge, um, especially when you have an emerging category like the VR headsets. Um, we have three or four that are currently popular ones. Um, when I was out at CES Asia, I was walking the show floor, and there must have been two dozen companies that make the exact same thing, that little rectangular brick that you slip your smartphone into and it sits in your face. None of them look different from any other one. I wouldn't cover any of them. I didn't write anything about them because they were all exactly the same. And you as a reader wouldn't want to read the story about yet another VR headset from X company, Y company, Z company. And so it's, it's hard to distinguish yourself sometimes.
2: When they overlap, when the Venn diagram overlaps like 85%, 90% in terms of features and functionality, I can see where it's difficult to make a compelling case to, to, exactly. to write up each exactly. one. Uh, Jeremy, you've given us a lot of great information today. Is there any, we're nearing the end of, of the time. Uh, is there anything that you want to, any last thought that you want to leave us with or, or um, a bit of advice to to offer? Um,
0: uh, yeah, there is one thing I would like to add. Um, we were talking about what separates digital trends uh, at the beginning of this. Of, of this and uh, one of the things that okay. I didn't mention, I think is, is a nice thing to wrap up with. Um, A lot of other technology blogs will just talk about five or six categories of things, smartphones, computers, um, websites, social media, et cetera. We're gonna talk about all those things, but we cover a lot of other things that make the world of technology interesting in a way that a lot of other people don't. For example, we have this incredible section that does nothing but cars. Um, And we talk about technology that goes into cars. We do reviews of cars. Uh, My car reviewers last week were, in uh, Portland with a million and a half dollars worth of brand new vehicles doing some testing for car of the year. Uh, other sites don't do that and we do that very, very well. We also do home appliances, including refrigerators and dishwashers. Uh, this is an area where there's a lot of emerging technology. Interestingly enough, you wouldn't think about it, but if you walk to the floor at CES, you see nothing but dishwashers and appliances, and you see people oohing and awing over refrigerators. It's, it's wonderful to see. So we cover those and that's something else you don't see in a lot of other sites. And in the next couple of weeks, or maybe it's a month or two, we're going to expand out and we're going to start covering the outdoor space as well. Meaning, um, uh, skiing, uh, snowboarding, uh, hiking, camping that entire world. Uh, any, if, if you're a sports fan, everyone has some sort of hobby like that they pursue. And you know that the first thing you do is you go out and you buy a whole bunch of stuff. And increasingly, the gear that you get for your hobby or for your sports event is technology enabled, whether it's goggles that have uh, GPS inside of them, or if it's hiking boots that will tell you how many steps you've taken, or high-tech camp gear. There's just an incredible amount of that stuff. Um, so I would say something to think about when you, when you think about pitching DT. We will cover the array of stuff that it is the world of technology, because technology embraces everything we do these days. And I think we do that in a way that a lot of other people don't.
2: That's great to know. The, that's super interesting. Um, Jeremy, tell us where we can keep in touch with you, where we can follow Digital Trends and uh Or at digitaltrends.com.
0: We've got our Spanish language version at es.digitaltrends.com. And you can always find me on Twitter at SmashDog, with the W, SmashDog. Uh, uh,
2: I was going to say, to be, to be clear, Thank that's you. D-A-W-G, uh, SmashDog. All right. Well, Jeremy, thank you for joining us. Uh, Again, anyone uh, who's interested can follow Jeremy on on Twitter at Smash You can follow Voce Nation uh, on Twitter at Voce Nation. Uh, Randy, who uh, pulled a disappearing act about five minutes ago, uh, is DJ Kassar, uh, K-S-A-R. And I am at Chris Thilk. That's T-H-I-L-K. Jeremy, thank you for joining us. Uh, We appreciate the time, and thanks for everybody uh, for uh, for following along.